Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Aranax podcast and this mini-series which is focused on the growing influence of life cycle assessments in industry. The interest in life cycle awareness is really growing and it is a wonderful tool to assess um, both an organization but also a product. But it can be very challenging, but if it's done right, the improvement options are endless. I'm Craig Eason, owner and editor of the Fathom World website, and I'm also podcast producer and host of the Aranax podcast. And I'm Rasmus Selsper Jensen, founder and CEO of Reflow here in Denmark, a company focused on helping companies, particular maritime logistics businesses, to understand the true and total life cycle picture of their businesses and products, and how to get a more granular understanding of their uh, emissions for better decision-making and new strategies. Now, Rasmus, you're my guide through this series, and we've, of course, already heard from consumer makers, um, maritime equipment maker, about their growing desire to collect all that data to assess the life cycles of their products and their processes and even their total businesses. And I've also managed to talk to sustainable financial experts about new directives on reporting and the new taxonomy that's giving investors the tools to make decisions about their investments. And of course, in the previous episode, we spoke to the chief sustainability officer and a chemical tanker operator and owner about their growing ambitions. But now, today, we're going to try and tackle something that the European Union and the IMO, the International Maritime Organization, are also trying to tackle. So in the next 15 minutes, Rasmus, um, we're going to try and tackle the issue of life cycles of marine fuels. It's a discussion at the IMO with regulators trying to come up with a way to decarbonize shipping. So just before we go into the first expert here, what's your thought about how difficult this challenge is going to be well we are when especially when we talk about new fuels craig um we often have biomass sources and creating a new fuel designing a new fuel really entails a lot of decisions and especially a lot of uh, environmental concerns you need to put in there because when you work with biofuels um you many times are taking uh, a waste uh, stock a waste uh, a product and then turning it into a fuel. But what is a waste today might be a valuable resource in the future. So working with life cycle assessment to assess biofuels and looking at new types of fuels is really a necessity, in my opinion, in order to make the right decision here. We'll touch on the uh, the biofuels again um, shortly, as well as some of the other alternative fuels that are coming into the market. But first... So my name is Megan Roo. Um, I originally come from South Africa, but I'm now a PhD researcher at the Technical University of Denmark. 
just outside of Copenhagen. And my PhD is on life cycle assessment modeling of maritime green fuels. Megan's doing her PhD in Denmark on life cycle and marine fuels using a life cycle assessment perspective. Now this of course means looking not only at existing fuels in their current delivery chain, but also the production logistics of future fuels, the power to X fuels, the biofuels, etc. I asked her about her research and what she's noted. And one of the things I wanted to ask her about also is I've seen a number of well-to-wake, there's this issue of well-to-wake fuels, uh, a number of papers, white papers that have been published on that. But she's already noted something about the majority of these papers that she's examined. It's very important for us to understand exactly what impacts these fuels might have and from a more holistic perspective, um, not just from an operational perspective. And so what I've been doing is trying to understand, well, do we have the current framework and the methodology to fully understand the impacts associated with these fuels? Um, and I've sort of found, well, no, we don't. And so we need to develop this methodological framework to assess the fuels before we invest heavily in them so that we don't make some massive climate risk error. So that's why I think a life cycle assessment is important. And it's a pretty established methodology to assess the impacts associated with a product or a process. So I've currently focused my research on more academic and peer-reviewed journals, um, hoping that they might contain a bit more information than some of the reports we see from industry, which I think can tend to be a bit focused on or kind of directing a certain to a certain result. Um, so I focused my research on peer-reviewed journal articles, and I've found already that there are quite a few gaps in these articles in terms of the methodology, in terms of what is stated. Um, there is a kind of standardized way of doing a life cycle assessment so that it can be compared to other studies and reproduced. And I'm just finding that there's not much transparency in the studies that have been done. What sort of um, aspects are missing from those studies? Yes, so I won't go too into the kind of life cycle assessment methodology. I think it can get quite um, boring quite quickly. But there are a few things. So you need to know what basis you're assessing your fuel on. And it's also very important to establish what the aim of the life cycle assessment study is and what the scope is. So where does where are you kind of beginning your assessment and where are you ending your assessment? Um, and this allows us to reproduce and compare the studies to one another. Uh, it's also very important to note what you include. So are you including the impacts of, say, infrastructure? Are you including the impacts of having to maybe your, your energy use? Where does your energy come from for the production of the fuel? And for example, are you looking at externalities at other impacts like the effect of changing the land if you're producing biofuels? Um, and this can be indirect and direct. So there are many things that that I'm just finding aren't really being considered in these studies. And, and then also like the impact categories that we look at. So a lot of the studies only look at global warming potential, but there are a host of other impacts that these fuels can have. Do you mean effects that are not environmental, but maybe relating to corruption, child labor, other kind of social governance questions? That too. I mean, I was just talking about environmental, but I, we haven't even opened the box of other impacts like social impacts and economic impacts that, that these studies aren't really considering. The shipping industry is quite likely, some shipping companies, large shipping companies, have already started to make a move 
in particular yes. fuel direction. They don't seem particularly worried about the life cycle assessment to that extent. If you're saying that there isn't there hasn't been a lot done, they don't seem to be too worried about the life cycle assessment. They're clearly picturing the emissions story mm -hmm. and regulatory compliance at the forefront of their decision making. So why do we need to do a life cycle analysis if ship owners are going to make their decisions anyway? Well, I'm just one person. I can't claim that I'm going to be able to influence all ship owners' decisions. And I think this is where policy and regulations are very important driving forces. Um, but what I'm hoping to do is to sort of develop the methodology for the assessment of the fuels um, so that we can have a better understanding and a better tool to assess them so that when we make these policies and we make these regulations, we really have a better understanding of potential implications and potential impacts. And that's kind of my role. And as a researcher, I have the luxury of, you know, being able to focus on this, the luxury of time and being kind of uninfluenced by other things. You say that there's a specific structure for a life cycle mm. analysis is there i mean is it sort of a given so regardless of what you're looking at there is a standard they're called iso standards and they there's sort of four main elements that you're meant to declare and kind of there's a method but i just don't think that that's actually employed in a lot of studies especially not academic studies that's Megan Rue, who has taken on the challenge of understanding life cycle assessments of marine fuels. So, Erasmus, I know that this is a complex, and I dare say it, it's an issue that's going to be at the heart of this alternative fuels debate, because it comes down to how the IMO or any regulator could create future regulations for shipping and how this life cycle assessment of fuels is going to impact it. Yeah, that's true. I think, Craig, what is really important here when we talk about assessing new type of fuels, uh, if it's well-to-wake or LCA methodology, is that we are able to compare apples and apples. And if we use different methodologies, different way of accounting for emissions, or we are only looking at the climate change and not other areas uh, that might be impacted when you um, produce a new type of fuel, then we might turn into something not as good as it could be. Um, and I think it's excellent that, that we are assessing something, but it's also a very important here that we um, have a harmonization in the way we assess the, the fuels. And it's all about making the right decision because we are creating, so to speak, new supply chains. We are creating perhaps new factories that are producing this fuel and being able to assess the impact of what's happening on land, for example, it's really, really uh, important here. One of the issues that I've found when I've been looking at some of the ways that new fuels are going to be made is the variety of ways it can be done. Um, whether you're using carbon capture, whether you're using um, recircling, recirculation of CO2, effectively captured CO2 being used in the production of fuels, or whether you're using uh, a fuel that doesn't have any CO2 in it, and even the, even the biofuels. I, I, do you think that the ISO standard, and we're going to touch on this again in a second, but do you think the ISO standard is a, is a solid way to help make that apples to apples kind of comparison here? I believe that the ISO standard, Craig, is, um, is a good framework to harmonize certain things, but I also think that when we start doing these assessments of fuels, there is a need for a more detailed framework where we can 
assess some of the more important areas or we at least have a framework that ha- that may assure us that we don't remove these areas in our assessment because the ISO standard is a great starting point when making LCAs but it also re- re- leaves a lot of room for different um, how you, you normally would call it cutoffs but a lot of decisions that you can make in your life cycle assessment where you say this is not relevant this is not important to my assessment that might as well be relevant, right? But that is not harmonized or that is not necessarily required in the ISO. So it could it could be beneficial in the future that we all agree. And I think that might be some of the work that is being done in the Merce McKinney Center for for um, maritime decarbonization. So it's really exciting work. Yeah, the, the Merce McKinney Muller Center for Zero Carbon Shipping in the in the heart of wonderful Copenhagen, it was established to kind of set up and meet the challenge from a sort of industry perspective. Um, It's largely funded by the McKinney-Muller family funds and other external, um, other businesses that have joined it to try and get this movement going a lot further. And obviously, it's done a lot of work already on looking at um, LCAs. My name is Anne O'Connor. I'm the Lifecycle Assessment Manager here at the centre. I sit in the Energy and Fuels team. Um, however, my role also interfaces a lot with our colleagues in the onboard vessel solutions and very heavily with our regulatory affairs team. Rasmus, you and I met Anne recently um, at the Global Maritime Technology Conference in Copenhagen. And I'd say I was impressed with that work that they're doing on fuel LCAs. Now, here's something that I certainly hadn't put a lot of thought into, but it's this, this for the sake of this discussion, is important. And it goes back to this difference between life cycle analysis of a fuel and the well-to-wake analysis. Here's Anne's take on the difference. Basically, an LCA analysis is extremely comprehensive. It is It looks at a wide range of environmental impacts. Um, it looks at the energy required by um, the system to produce uh, the fuel, uh, to transport the fuel to the user to actually combust and use the fuel on board the vessel. And so it looks at the energy required by that system um, plus the material use. And it looks at the climate impacts of, of those two main inputs. And then it expresses the output as a whole range of different environmental impacts. So it's very comprehensive. It's very detailed. Um, and it is based on an ISO standard. If we look at a well-to-wake approach, this is really uh, an approach that has been adopted from, you know, the transport industry where we had well-to-wheel. Um, it is unstandardized un- in the sense that it doesn't have an ISO standard that follows it. It only looks at the energy required to uh, produce and distribute and use the fuel and then the associated uh, climate intensity of that energy use. So to give you an example, if you are producing a fuel using uh, green energy, then of course the climate intensity of that energy use will be relatively low in comparison to using uh, grid electricity, for example, in a country that doesn't have a very decarbonized grid. And so really it looks, it primarily focuses on the climate impacts. And uh, now we can also start to see how land use change is starting to form part of the uh, climate change impact category. So that is starting to be included now as well. Um, but that's the that's the, the main difference in the in the scopes between the two. Um, LCA very comprehensive, looks at a wide range of different environmental impacts. 
um, well to wake, maybe less comprehensive, more suited to a global context, um, looks at energy required to produce the fuel, transport it and use it, and then the associated climate impact of, of that energy use across the system. This was a little bit about the uh, complexity and the difference between Welterwake and uh, LCA, and I think in this, uh, in uh, I think that Anne is, is spot on. It, there is definitely a difference, and I think it's important that either you use um, Welterwake or use the life cycle assessment methodologies. Um, it's very difficult to combine them because one is including things that the other one is not. But I also think that. Um, especially when we're talking biofuels um, and new, new types of fuels, it's important we don't only or that we not only look at the well to wake aspect of it because we might end up not including um, what we call in, in LCA terminology midpoint values. So Anne was just touching base on, on the land use. So if we're using a bio-based uh, crop, we might um, end up creating, it could be a waste material when we start today but if we you know the, the maritime industry is really in need of, of a lot of lot of fuel so we might up uh, creating a new type of uh, main crop suddenly that are taking a lot of land and that land could have been used for food or for other things that we are in need of uh, in today's society so i really think it's uh, it's important that you don't only look at the well to wake it's a good indicator in my opinion but the life cycle assessment of course it is more complex as Anne also mentioned but it gives us more data to make decision based on um, and i think that is that is a really important um, that we keep that in mind and then also the lca has the iso um, standardization um, and as I mentioned earlier, I think it's it's really a good start to have it uh, international uh, standard on it. But I also think we might in the future have the need for more detailed ISO standard for maritime fuels. But let's see. This might be some of the work that the Merce McKinney Center will be focusing on because I can, from, from our aspect, really see the need that we have it even more uh, harmonized in the in the future. One of the one of the points you made there about um, LCAs for maritime fuels. A lot of the fuels that we're looking at, these alternative fuels, whether it's ammonia, um, hydrogen, or methanol, they have other uses. They have other potential uses. So if a similar hydrogen atom is made using a green solution, so basically using re renewable energy to create renewable green hydrogen. If you look at that then subsequent use in a land-based solution or in a marine solution as a marine fuel, would you end up with different LCA kind of comparisons there? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good uh, question, Craig. Um, and the short answer is yes, because on the LCA, you're looking at the life cycle of the product, not just uh, to produce it, but also to transport it to the to the end use and perhaps also the use process itself. And I think that the maritime industry is, I still have yet to see some really commercially used uh, hydrogen uh, motors or engines in, in that size that we need for them for the big ships. But I can assume that there will be some difference in the marine-based engines versus the land-based because um, 
there might be some restrictions on the on the uh, on the marine based. But just to to make uh, the answer a little bit shorter here is that yes, there will be difference in the life cycle assessments, um, and it can also be that on land you have some different. Um, um, options to uh, prepare the, the hydrogen and so on because you have um, a much uh, much more steady supply chain. Well, on the ship you have these tanks where you store it in. So there might be some differences in the in the energy consumption and in the environmental profile from the two solutions, and that calls for a different um, or separate life cycle assessments. It's an interesting point, but I, I somehow I don't think the IMO or the maritime regulators are going to start taking that kind of breadth in their analysis, are they? They're not going to be looking at um, the well-to-wake or the life cycle assessment of a marine fuel um, and make that sort of comparison with that same energy molecule being used elsewhere in industry. I, th I think, Craig, it's important that we um, that we need to look at why should they do that. I think what is super, uh, what is really important here is that that um, that we help the IMO to to really make sure that they make the right decisions when it comes to new fuels. Um, and it's my belief that LCA uh, methodology is the way we're looking at the entire life cycle of a potentially new fuel before we make the decision um, whether we should make that a green fuel or not is very important um and i think we can compare it and i i wouldn't say it's a big catastrophe but it is still a something you we didn't catch uh, if we look at the windmills uh, that we the previous generation of windmills and then some of the windmills that are being used today well they were produced without having um lcas in place and what we could see when the windmill is starting to age is that the windmill wings could not be reused anywhere, could not be recycled. So that ended up creating the need for landfill where these wings are being stored. So this is a, a small example on, on how it can go bad. Um, and using the LCA, we would also know before we lock in a certain type of fuel and call it green, if the um, if the energy consumption and, and uh, environmental impact of this fuel is creating is acceptable or not. And I definitely think we, we need to do that. Um, the question is just what methodology and how should we do it? But but I think it makes so much sense that we look at the entire calculation when we design a new fuel, uh, because that is really what we're doing here. We have been for many years been uh, been using these fossil fuels, and that's from nature, take it or leave it. But what we are doing really now is we're actually designing our own fuel. So why don't we? do it the right way and make sure we design something that's truly green instead of just saying, ah, just as long as we have something that is not leaving emissions out on sea, it doesn't really matter for us at IMO. Then it's the land uh, legislation uh, bodies that will have to deal with it, what happens on land. That's not really, in my opinion, the best way. Well, I, I asked Anne about how long she thinks it's going to take for LCAs, to begin to have an influence on the regulatory aspects um, of marine fuels. Yeah, I mean, there's some predictions around when it will start to have an effect. Um, 2025, for example, is a is a is a time in the calendar where people are uh, expecting that ship owners will have to start uh, reporting uh, the climate impact of their fuel use on their fleet um, around that time. Um, 
that, of course, is heavily reliant on how quickly these things will get through the IMO. And really, if you look at that, uh, what you what what we really need to accelerate that is increased engagement, really, from all the folks involved in the IMO. It's it's, in, it's time for all of us to start contributing to the conversation and conducting analysis in our own organisations and, and feeding that into the IMO ecosystem so that we can get to a 2025 whereby you know, ship owners already have a good understanding of 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 uh, well to wake analysis, how it can support their um, decisions for the different fuels that they select for their fleet, um, and 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 hopefully set them well on their way, um, so that when twenty twenty five rolls around, it's not going to be a big surprise, and you know we have a whole industry kind of you know putting their hands in the air, kind of not well, knowing how to Well, that was Anne O'Connor from the Maersk McKinney Muller Centre for Zero Carbon Shipping. Now that's it for this episode. In the next episode, Rasmus and I will take a peek at an even more complex aspect of LCAs in shipping. And that's the kind of cradle to grave of a ship from ship design and ship building with LCAs brought into that perspective. Yeah, so uh, within DAM, it's really in the early stage. So what we want to do, we're not fully do it yet. So we want to have a look at where are the materials? Where are they coming from? Uh, then you have like, have, for example, steel, then it's made into uh, from the raw material, it's made into steel plates. Um, and then we're going to make a ship out of it. Uh, then the ship is being built uh, and it's going to the ship uh, owner. Um, and then you have the end of life. Um, and at the moment, we don't have the clear picture of the whole the whole life cycle yet. So uh, we sell we sell a vessel, and then uh, the ownership and responsibility is going towards the owner of the vessel. And what we want to do is to stay to keep that ownership and that responsibility for the whole vessel, uh, and also the end of life of the vessel, and also to make sure that in the design we think about the whole life cycle. So for the coming thirty years, what kind of Developments are there indeed if you shift from uh, diesel engines to uh, more alternative fuels, how can you include, include these uh, future proof yeah, principles in the design of the vessel? And we also need to know what is in the vessel uh, at the end of life. So how can you decommission the vessel in a yeah, a green way and what do you need to know to be able to do that that is a really exciting next episode i'm also really looking forward to to the next episode because one of the big thing is if you start putting in green fuel on a vessel that has zero emissions then suddenly the fuel is not the biggest impact of the entire life cycle of the vessel as it used to be now it's the vessel itself so that really proves that the future of green shipping needs to take the ship design, the shipbuilding into perspective. And this is where LCA really can make a difference. So really excited. Well, I'm Craig Eason, host of the Aranax podcast and editor and owner of the Fathom World website. And I'm Rasmus Selsberg-Jensen, a founder and CEO of Reflow. And remember to check out Reflow Maritime's website and to look for the Aranax podcast on Spotify and most podcast hosting platforms, as well as on the Fathom World website, where I really do encourage you to sign up for updates and to get our regular newsletter. Until the next time, goodbye. <laughs>